listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Welcome to the annual meeting edition of Locked On Pharmacy, the only place for complete all-access coverage of APHA's 2023 annual meeting, which took place from March 24th through the 27th in Phoenix, Arizona. This special edition of Locked On Pharmacy includes interviews with APHA board members, senior leadership, guest speakers, and attendees. Whether you attended this year's meeting or plan to attend next year, listen now for exclusive information about practice, education, and legislative and regulatory issues, as well as discussion about the pharmacy topics that matter most to you. APHA's 2023 Annual Meeting Edition of Locked On Pharmacy is hosted and produced by the Pharmacy Podcast Network. You can find other episodes and more information on topics and guests via APHA's podcast website at podcasts.pharmacist.com. And now, welcome to a special edition of Locked On Pharmacy. A theme that I keep hearing over and over again in the, in the realm of transforming pharmacy is transitions of care. We are at the APHA 2023. Um, we're running the Locked On Pharmacy podcast, and I'm with um, so many different pharmacists that talk about different things, but transition, transitions of care has been a theme, and we're talking with Jessica Wooster. Dr. Jessica Wooster actually has a presentation on that. Mm-hmm. Jessica, welcome to Locked On Pharmacy. Hi, happy to be here. So talk to our listeners about Number one, what's that mean today? Because it's changed. And what are you advocating for in in helping pharmacists to understand, hey, quit doing things for free? Absolutely. So starting with transitions of care and giving it kind of a definition that makes meaning to pharmacists would be basically a patient handoff between setting to setting, level of care, so like ICU to the floor, or even just in between a shift change, so a physician to a pharmacist, a pharmacist to a pharmacist. So transitional care um, is defined as that set of clinical activities that we do during these patient handoffs in order to better coordinate care. So adding to your comment of we need to quit doing things (laughs) for free, hey, time is money, right? So we're so used to doing that, offering our counseling and education and all these access to medications at all our points of care, but yet we're just paid whatever our hourly or salary is. So with transitional care management, there's actually billing codes, CPT codes now, so we can actually bill for these services. We're already doing them, we're just not billing for them. And these codes came out in 2013, so we're talking 10 years ago. We're not using them. Is it attached to an incident two billing situation that you're you're doing something with a physician on, on team? So there's different parts of it. So it okay. is a bundled service. The first part is a phone call follow-up at hospital discharge. So you have two business days to make that call. Anyone can make that call. Okay. We had community health workers making it that just had a high school graduation. So pharmacy students, residents, pharmacists, nurses, clinical navigators, all of them can make those calls. Okay. The second step of that is non-face-to-face services. And pharmacists are able to do that under general supervision, meaning the patient has to be known to a physician and known to the pharmacist, not under the same roof, not even within an X mile radius. And then the third step is face-to-face clinical services. 
and that's done under direct supervision. So you need to either have a collaborative practice or contractual agreement in place with a physician, or you can be at the same location and both the physician and the pharmacist need to see that patient during the visit, but not at the same time. So what else has happened at this year's conference that ties into expansion of pharmacist roles? What have you heard about or what sessions have you set in that are making you excited? So uh, billing has been an exciting one for me, and it means different things based on what point of care you're practicing in, whether you're inpatient, community, or AmCare. But the thing I love about Transitions of Care, and obviously it's my area of interest, so those are those sessions I've been going to the most, is there's a way that you can be a part of the care of the patient and make money off of it, no matter what setting you're in. So it was exciting to have people coming up to me after my talk and saying, I'm in community, how can I be a part of this? I'm an inpatient, I wanna start this, how do I do that? I'm an AmCare, what can I do? How can I be a part of this? So it really covers the whole spectrum, no matter what setting you're in. Well, it's an important part of pharmacists' evolution and how many new roles that we're actually picking up in the, pharma in the pharmacist role in healthcare in general. So that's why Transitions of Care, one, I wanted it to be part of our collective at APHA's 2023. So Jessica, I really appreciate you kind of being our um, gong yeah. to, to talk <laughs> about it, not only here at the conference, but here on Locked On Pharmacy. So thank you. Thank you for APHA 2023 here in Phoenix, excited to be talking with Dr. Elizabeth Pogie. Elizabeth, I'm thinking of last year and how what the pandemic put in place for the role of the pharmacist has expanded. I hear more about artificial intelligence usage. I hear more about point of care testing. I hear, but when I start hearing about that, the very first thing I think of is pharmacists that drill down into specific conditions will have sometimes additional training on those specific conditions. So I think of the Board of Pharmacy Specialties and I think of what's happening. And you did a session on that, kind of open up there where you have seen in your career as a pharmacist how that has changed and how it's now become even more necessary to have that board certification and specialty. Yeah, well, thanks for having me today, Todd. I'm excited to be here. So, you know, I'm really passionate about clinical pharmacy and the Board of Pharmacy Specialist has a lot of different pathways for pharmacists to become really specialized in a certain area and to show the providers that they're working with that they have extra credentials and extra specialties in those areas. So my area um, that I practice in is geriatrics and cardiology. So I'm personally board certified in geriatric medicine, but I'm also board certified as just a general pharmacotherapy specialist. And so I feel I feel like those extra credentials can be very, very helpful if you're trying to create relationships with providers because they understand what board certification means. And so you have to set for exam and show that you have extra knowledge and skills. Um, I think one of the, so I'm a little bit older and um, over the past about 20 years, I think one of the cool things that's happened um, with BPS is that they've really expanded the amount of specialties that they're offering. So today during the session, she was telling me that in the last 10 years or so that they've had approximately eight or nine new specialties. Um, and so they're expanding just now into emergency medicine as well. And so I think there's just more opportunities for pharmacists to really you know, find their niche and specialize in those areas and then the, create those 
collaborative relationships with providers. So Elizabeth, think about how many NDCs were in existence 20 years ago compared to how many are today, right? Absolutely. And how specialty pharmacy has just exploded. Mm -hmm. So when I think of very specific cancer types or very specific conditions in children mm -hmm. or something in LGBTQ transitional care or opioid use disorder, it's all changed, it's all accelerated. Mm -hmm. So those board of specialties becomes more poignant and more respected by the physicians who are also specialists in specific conditions or disease states. So talk about the collaboration between the pharmacist and the physician, primary care, the specialist that really focuses on specific conditions. Sure, so I practice in the area of cardiology, as I mentioned, and I'm in Sun City and Sun City West. So that's a primarily geriatric um, population, so most of my patients are actually 70 or 75 plus. We have a very well elderly population. And then working within a specialty office, um, one of the things that they look at me to do is really help them with the new cardiac medications like you're talking about. So cardiology, just like every other disease state, has boomed in terms of new medications. So we've had like Sacubitrol Valsartan or Entresto. We have our new PCSK9 inhibitors or um, Bempidoic Acid and Glycerin. And then we have some of the new things that are for um, like uh, pulmonary arterial hypertension. And so how can we help as pharmacists to help manage these medications? So, you know, I work with providers that have been in practice for 30, 40 years, and they're not keeping up on these new medications the way that I am. And yeah. so they look to me to A, provide them education. So I think of one physician that I have that I work very closely with and he'll pop into my office and say, hey, so Elizabeth, tell me everything about Vasipa in like two minutes. I need to know, like, should I be <laughs> prescribing course. this drug? Crash course in Vasipa. And, and, you know, so I can really be their medication specialist. And then also I do a lot of difficult to treat disease states that my cardiologist maybe needs a little bit of help in. Let me give you an example. Neurogenic orthostatic hypotension. This is a difficult, difficult, pretty rare disease state, common, more common in our elderly population. Some of the drugs to treat this disease state are very difficult to manage and they're difficult to get approved. Mm -hmm. And I know there's other disease states like hepatitis that this also happens where, you know, some of these drugs can be difficult to get the insurances to approve. And so the I can serve as this really nice resource for my provider to send the patient to me and then I can prescribe everything. I can get the patient educated. You know, I have the time and the knowledge um, to really help that patient and um, help that patient a lot. And so oftentimes, um, my providers will say, why do they like you so much, right? <laughs> and, I, and I tell them, I said, you know, um, doc, I said, I think it's just a matter of time. I have more time to spend with them. Um, and so I'm able to provide them that extra education and sometimes, you know, that extra hug that they need. It makes sense because uh, when I think of my own uh, pharmacist when I was little in Evans City, Pennsylvania, up in North Pittsburgh, I think of my dad's pharmacist that's here in Sebastian, uh, Florida, Teresa Toll. Uh, we just got, actually gave her an award, uh, Pharmacy 50 most, most Influential Pharmacist of the Year. And it's, it's amazing to see that the trust between that community and their community pharmacist, um, the hospital pharmacist who looks them in the eye when they're in the bed and they're, they're, they're very worried and you get to describe what's going to happen to them when they're starting on this medication, specialty rare disease states, even more so pediatrics and the board of specialty of pediatrics, I mean, that's huge with the coming of 
being scared uh, with misinformation about maybe vaccines in your children or, um, or growth hormones that they may take if there's a pituitary gland issue maybe later in life. Regardless, I want to go to my pharmacist who I've known my whole life and be able to ask questions, look them in the eye and feel like as a consumer, because I'm not a pharmacist, I am the consumer. I want to know that my family's safe and that if I look you in the eye, you've been my pharmacist for years, I'm going to feel so much more comfortable about the therapy. Yeah, it reminds me of an article that I read that was called Cowboys and Pit Crews. And it talked about how a physician used to be able to be a cowboy, right? And he could ride alone and treat medicine alone. But now he needs a whole pit crew <laughs> of people <laughs> in order to really provide good patient care. And, you know, we should be part of that team. Yep. I truly believe that. And I believe that we provide super valuable um, information to the team. You know, we provide super valuable information to the patient. And there's so many ways that we can, you know, be part of that team and make a difference because we are the medication experts. Yep. And um, I always, you know, I work with a lot of nurse practitioners and PAs as well. And oftentimes when we're talking about medications, they look to me and they're like, how does that drug work again? Like, <laughs> right. I don't understand. And, I'm, I'm, and then I'm telling them about sip ice wins, I'm interactions. They're like, no, 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 break it down. Like, but because they don't have that training to that level that we do. That's so, right. you know, we're a really important part of that team. And I think that the, the tie-in to diet, the tie-in to allergic reactions to things, mm -hmm. and really starting to say to pharmacists, hey, if you're a specialist in geriatrics, there's a whole other facet to the coming of holistic and integrative pharmacy that could couple the world of pharmaceuticals and pharmacology that can really help to balance the patient's life and really give them not just sustainability, but helping them to thrive as seniors and living longer. And now it's gonna come back to the pharmacist when you're living longer and saying, well, what about my sexual health? What about this, you mm -hmm. know, this, um, you know, what's the generic for Viagra? I can't even think of the name. Sildenafil. There you go, because yeah. I'm not the pharmacist. Yeah. But it's just all <laughs> of that, that the pharmacist is gonna continuously get pinged for the follow-up question. What about this situation? Especially when you start talking about comorbidity building up and how many meds you know some sure. of our seniors are on. You're absolutely speaking my language. I have my master's of public health and nutrition. So lifestyle modification and nutrition is very important to me and that more holistic approach to care. Um, part of my counseling is always discussing lifestyle with patients and talking to them about how their lifestyle can influence things. You know, maybe you can do 20 minutes of exercise a day or maybe you can um, not eat all that canned soup or yeah. whatever it is that you're doing that's raising your blood pressure or causing some of the other problems that you're experiencing. Um, I am always, you know, in for the lifestyle part of it and trying to help patients learn and um, gather information and, you know, be part of their health care, right? Elizabeth, we have to have you back locked on pharmacy and just really expand upon this theme. We're going to be doing more in senior care and geriatrics specifically, so we got to have you back on locked on pharmacy. I would love to come back anytime. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Pennsylvania has to be represented. Therefore, Dr. Tom Franco is standing in front of me with Wilkes University School of Pharmacy here at the APHA Locked on Pharmacy 2023. Tom, how are you? I am happy to be here. It's West Coast, it's warm, it's great. It is, it's warm, we don't have to put up with the dismal. Um, did you know that Pennsylvania, this is a little trivia, 
is the the, the south, southwestern Pennsylvania, which isn't necessarily where you're at, but southwestern Pennsylvania, which is like the Pittsburgh kind of area, is the third least sunny area in the entire United States. We get 77 days of sun per year. Well, hey, we're Scranton, so I mean, we might be second. <laughs> That's true, Scranton. Yeah, um, and and I think of um, I think it's it's spring, and when spring comes, it's the APHA 2023, and we're here together. And I don't have to look at you on a Zoom uh, meeting. I can look at you in the flesh. That's the best that we've been saying to everybody who's been walking by here is it's no longer the Brady Bunch boxes. It's good to actually see people. Yes. We, you only get to see them once a year live, and it's fantastic that we're able to do this. I hate to say this because I don't want to bring up our ages, and I'm not going to bring up our specific ages, but we have been around long enough in pharmacy to see massive, massive changes happening to our profession. What part of those changes that are happening right now, and I call this like a golden age of pharmacy, because now pharmacists are going to be able to do things that no one ever thought of before, um, as well as the creativity that comes out of our new pharmacists. Well, what are you excited about that's happening in our profession? Honestly, as a member of our House of Delegates, I think the most exciting thing are all the policies that we're passing now are going to impact how we practice, not tomorrow, they're going to impact how we practice 10, 20 years from now. We look back to when we passed policy on immunization in the 90s, and look where we're at now. Imagine the stuff that we're passing now, what it's going to mean for our profession 20 years from now. So for people out there who want to get into pharmacy, the future is incredibly bright, and it's all being developed right here at APHA. We were talking with the RPHLI team um, about getting involved in your local and state and national organizations and how important that is. 305,000 active pharmacists in the country. We need more representation at the state level and the national level. Well, of course we do. I mean, everything at the state level, all politics are local. So everything at the state level is important. And as a past president of the Pennsylvania Pharmacists Association, I'll wholeheartedly endorse yeah. joining your state pharmacy group, no matter where you happen to live. But I think it's a responsibility that we have to our profession to be a member of your state and a national organization because it's that ability to be represented, to have that voice in your state capital or in Washington, to advocate for the changes that we need as a profession. Not maybe where you individually work, but for the profession as a whole. Well, Tom, you've been a leader for quite some time. I've really looked up to you in the profession of pharmacy. What shout out do you want to share with our APHA um, podcast listeners right now just to kind of set something up for the rest of our 2023 coming up? I guess I would say that the future is certainly going to be bright. It, it, there's a lot of things that go on and you hear about it, whether it be on social media or wherever, that pharmacy is difficult or pharmacy is bleak. And I think that while we see that right now, the future, there's a lot of opportunity. There's a lot of opportunity for us to expand what it is that we're doing, to get paid for what yep. it is that we're doing. And all of that's starting, yes, here at APHA. It's going to tee us up for the rest of the year, but it's also something that all 50 state organizations, that NASPA, they're all working on it. Yep. So there's so much opportunity that's coming, but we need people. We need to hear your stories. We need to hear the pros, the cons, and how it can get better so we can continue to advocate to make the changes that we know you need. I entered pharmacy in 2004. There were problems. There were issues. There was negativity. Guess what? There's always going to be problems. There's always going to be barriers. There's always going to be challenges. But I see hopefulness in our profession 
because young, these young pharmacists are really grasping what's next. They're thinking about digital therapeutics, they're thinking about artificial intelligence, they're thinking about getting involved in clinical trials, um, they're thinking social determinants of health is actually a, a policy opportunity for them to represent underserved communities. That's what makes me excited about pharmacy, is, is not just being a sideline pharmacist, but getting involved in really transforming healthcare. And it's great to see a lot of the students do that. Just yesterday in the House, there were amendments posed to social determinants of health policy from ASP. So the students are the ones leading the charge on this. And you're absolutely right. I think we're at a point in time where a lot of graduates are sooner trying to go out and develop their own jobs, their own yep. sources of revenue, than, say, the more traditional paths. And I think that's fantastic for people to say, I see a gap and I'm going to go out there and I'm going to fix it. It's a tremendous amount of creativity from our students and our graduates. Yep. Dr. Tom Franco, thanks for being part of the show. Always happy to be here. Hey, I'm Todd Yuri with the Pharmacy Podcast Network. And I'm Dr. Candice Olushala. And, and you're, you're listening, listening to Locked, Locked on, on Pharmacy. PHA 2023. I'm here with Jeff Bradberg. He is someone that I've looked forward to um, interviewing, uh, Dr. Bradberg. You have been a, a resource for us with regards to the evolving treatment in opioid use disorder. We have a special series coming out called OpioidX that you're part of. But just give our listeners who are listening to Locked on Pharmacy here at APHA uh, here in Phoenix just an overview of your mission and yourself and, and what you'd like to see happening over the next year. Yeah, thanks, Todd. It's great to be here. It's a great conference. Excited for all the things going on and going forward. Our research is out there showing that pharmacists can effectively prescribe and treat and start people on medications for opioid use disorder in community pharmacies. That was our, our research published in the New England Journal of Medicine in January. Um, so we're looking to expand it, looking to network here and, uh, with the X waiver gone that allows the most safe and effective opioid we have that reduces death by over half in people with opioid use disorder, that's buprenorphine. Uh, we really need to have it be prescribed by people who've got DEA licenses, um, and that's some pharmacists in 10 or 11 states, and so let's, let's think about what we can do in collaborative practice agreements. Uh, working with the community, working with social workers, community health workers, you name it, it's a team effort and pharmacists need to step up and, and lead that team. You know, as a um, patient myself, uh, someone who looks to pharmacists to guide me and my family, I was an opioid use uh, disorder treatment strategy long enough to understand it a little bit. I understood titration, I understood um, what it meant to bring enough medication into somebody's um, system to give them 12 hours and 24 hours of relief. So I kind of get it. But what I'm thinking is missing sometimes in opioid use treatment is giving the pharmacist the ability to go further than just structuring treatment for OUD, but also looking at other things that are happening in that patient's life that drugs and medications are impacting. So comorbidity. So where does that come in to become more complex for treatment in, in patients? Yeah, over half the people who are diagnosed with an opioid use disorder probably have a mental health uh, disorder diagnosis as well. And so that's what's so exciting about 
as we, you know, we, I think every health professional would say we don't have enough mental health resources. After or in the pandemic, we see that everybody needs more resources, and none more than those who are the most vulnerable and marginalized in society, which often have that opioid use disorder diagnosis. So once pharmacists can prescribe for SUD, stabilize people's lives, make sure they aren't dying of overdose, uh, then the next step is to work and help their mental health. And again, it's it could be starting with referral to care. It could be starting with referring them to counseling, maybe hosting counseling, telemedicine, telepharmacy in their pharmacies. There's, you know, I hate to call it a growth potential, but it's really closing the gap in all of what we call behavioral health care, which includes substance use disorder and, um, and mental health disorders. Jeff, I'm looking forward to Opioid Rx as the series. Uh, you kicking it off, I think, your episode one. Um, that's coming soon. Um, we'll have to really reach out to you again because I'd like to have you on talking about preparing patients who are mature in their treatment who want to get ready instead of the daily dosing of like a methadone or a suboxone, they want to move to like a Vivitrol, they want to go on a 30-day rotation. There's like a whole opportunity for pharmacists to kind of control that period of time. Because I think you need like a five to eight day period where there's nothing like really in your system before you're getting ready. And I think that there's an ability for pharmacists to step up to relieve what our primary care is kind of taxed with. And now that the X waiver's gone, I think there should be some creativity in mind with pharmacists kind of helping to control control treatment and then move treatment to whole nother levels. Yeah, 100 percent. We have we've got, you know, one long acting buprenorphine 30 day treatment. We've got naltrexone, which is uh, long acting, which is effective, probably more effective for um, alcohol use disorder. But, you know, we need to start making sure we're getting paid for our services. Right, yeah. Todd? So we got to get paid to do those things. And, um, and and these are these are quick things. You know, we aren't having a 30 minute counseling session. We're giving you your uh, your first dose or your 10th dose um, of those long-acting, or we're doing daily treatment. The one thing we can't do in pharmacies is that methadone daily dosing, as it's done in many, many countries successfully. There's federal legislation everyone listening should support. Um, maybe APHA will support that uh, to allow addiction specialists to prescribe methadone in their set in their offices and get filled at community pharmacies. So that's another opportunity for pharmacists to engage this population in a regular way, um, through methadone in a, in a way to, if they can get prescribing authority to prescribe buprenorphine, and then if they have medication administration authority to treat those things. So there's a great need here. This has been allowed by other health professionals for a long time. Even with the ex-weaver gone, I don't anticipate a giant step up from these providers. Um, they would have gotten waivered if they wanted to do it. So now we need to step up and close that gap and, and, and go beyond, like we said, uh, help direct people to mental health care and, and like you said, it direct primary care um, because mental health is primary care. Exactly. Jeff, thank you so much for participating in Lockdown Pharmacy at APHA 2023. Thank you so much, Todd. Thank Honored you. to be here. Hey, an exciting um, part of APHA 2023 is the focus on are community pharmacists and the business of community pharmacy includes transitioning um, someone's lifelong hard work in their community, building their business, building their small pharmacy that may become a huge pharmacy, which some of these community pharmacies are multiple sites and they have uh, branding and the community trusts them, of course. So when I think of someone that's coming at a time in their age 
where they'd like to move forward, maybe like to retire. I get concerned with what happens next. So we have Sean Duffy here. Um, he is a pharmacist. Uh, he's CEO and consultant of Integrity um, Pharmacy Consultants. Sean, welcome to the show today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So as I had said, you know, these pharmacy owners, they put their life's work. I mean, this is, this is their entire life. This store, this shop, this pharmacy has been part of the community, let's say 20, 30, sometimes multi-generational. And then something happens where they either they need to, like I was saying, they want to retire, they want to push it to another pharmacy owner of some sort. They need an organization that they can trust, that understands the business, that talks the right language. Tell me about how you got into this and, and what you guys do for community pharmacies. Um, interesting. So I grew up in independent pharmacy myself. My father and stepfather were both independent pharmacists. Unfortunately, when I was in pharmacy school, they, they sold the pharmacy to somebody else, so I had to find a different career choice. I actually went into um, a chain retail for a period of 15, 17 years, worked my way up through the corporate side of things, and in that role, one of my responsibilities was actually acquiring independent patient files. Uh, if an owner wanted to sell, we would inquire those into our company. Um, many times I saw some of these owners not getting the full fruits of what they, they worked hard over these decades. They were right. basically leaving money on the table. So I decided to go out and protect the smaller guys to help them make sure they do get, you know, all of their blood, sweat, equity, whatever it is, out of their decades of, of owning and building a business, um, make sure they didn't leave anything behind. Make sure they optimize their selling price. So, you know, pharmacy's changed, and now we're getting into elements of pharmacy where, um, where we do have owners that have three, four, 10 you know, locations that they've really built a, a strong brand within multiple counties. And so when you're talking with pharmacy owners who say, hey, I want to sell or I want to buy, um, what, are you, what are you kind of helping them to stage to prepare for selling? What are the top, say, three to five things that you're kind of telling them, hey, to get ready to get the most out of this, here's the five things you should be thinking about? Uh, I think the number one thing is, you know, what's the value of the pharmacy? You know, uh, a lot of times when people look to sell, they're looking to retire. Mm -hmm. You know, how much money do they have in retirement? Are they working with a financial advisor? And if they do sell their pharmacy or pharmacies, uh, what is the value to them? Uh, I think that should be the first step for anybody, and it's, it's never too soon to find out what the value is. You know, you get one, if you're thinking about your retiring in five to ten years, it's just good to have an idea of you know what what's your pharmacy worth. The other thing you got to consider, though, is the confidentiality aspect okay. of it. Um, you know, not not like a house or another business. You don't put up a for sale sign uh, in fear that you're going to maybe lose some employees to right. somebody else. You know, they get concerned for their job, they leave, or maybe your patients go look for another pharmacy. So yep. it's it's tricky. You know, a pharmacy owner needs to find an intermediary to help with this confidentiality and, and attract people that would be interested in buying those their, their pharmacy. That is an aspect of selling a store that I had never thought of. That is so important, the confidentiality to kind of uh, insulate your community from certain things that they don't necessarily have to know. 
and it's not like it's not in the best interest of the of the community. It's just part of the the lifehood or the life cycle of being a pharmacy owner, and and you don't want it messed up for you because you uh, your last six months in business, you know, you lose all your clients or all your patients, and people start make, making up rumors about you, and it's just like just stuff that extra stuff you probably don't want to deal with. Yeah, there, I mean, there's competitors out there that from a business perspective, if they hear about it, they're going to market it, saying, hey, I heard you know, Joe's going out of business, we can take care of you over yeah. here. Uh, you, you really got to, that, that's a huge pitfall of selling a pharmacy, is making sure you keep it as confidential as you can until the, the, the agreement's been completed. So a pharmacy owner is listening in to the APHA's Locked On Pharmacy show um, here in, in Phoenix. What um, what's the point of contact? What what can you share with listeners uh, in order to reach out and, and connect with you? Yeah. Um, so, with with regards to our company specifically, it's you know our website is just integrity-rx.com. www. Um, but any intermediary can help them with it. I would just encourage them to find somebody that specializes in pharmacy. Okay. Don't go out there find just a business broker that doesn't know the ins and outs of a pharmacy because pharmacy is valued differently than most other businesses. Okay. Um, you've got wholesalers out there that, that have their own, I guess, um, pool of, of buyers that are looking. The, the challenge with that is they're only going to send you, you know, buyers within their network, right? Yep. So you've got a limited quantity. but. Um, the, the more buyers that you can present that to in a confidential way, the, the more offers you, you, you have to consider. All right, so we got to have you back. Um, I was thinking of introducing you to a couple more of our podcasters and getting you on some shows. So um, listeners, um, stay tuned. We'll probably have Sean back on a, on a future podcast. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. has been an amazing conference, the 2023 APHA event here in uh, Phoenix, Arizona. We're running the Locked on Pharmacy uh, podcast in the APHA's booth, and I'm here with Elisa Bernstein, the CEO of, um, of the APHA. Dr. Bernstein, thank you so much for closing the show up for us. What an amazing event this has been. Thank you so much, Todd. It's really exciting to have you here right in the middle of the exhibition hall. I know. And you know, all the, everyone's coming up and talking to you and telling you, uh, hopefully, about how excited they are for an, an, at this meeting. They have been. We've done some amazing interviews. We've shared some amazing stories. It's inspiration. It's hopeful. Rise in the face of adversity was the theme. And what a perfect theme that it is when we just came out of a pandemic we're coming up with new policies. We're coming up with new repeatable ways of how uh, pharmacists are impacting public health and population health. Give us a little bit of your idea about uh, moving forward from this point. What's the next? Because I feel like it's time to hand the batons out to pharmacists throughout the nation. So what's the next stage? Yes, we have to capitalize on all of the wonderful things that pharmacists did through the pandemic now that we're on the other side and making sure that pharmacists had the tools that they need in order to really 
elevate that profession, elevate their experience with patients. And really excited on Thursday, which was right the day before the meeting opened, a bill was introduced in Congress, which makes those authorities that of for phar what pharmacists did during the pandemic permanent. So. Um, for testing, for immunizing, for treating, preparing for the future pandemic, and then most importantly, creating a payment pathway so pharmacists can get paid for their services. So this just happened in time for our meeting. It was fabulous. That's incredible. It just adds to the excitement level that's been here the entire um, everyone that I've been talking to is excited to be back and be with each other. Um, it's amazing to see the support that we're getting, getting from key vendors that are here to support the entire profession and the, in the Super Bowl of pharmacy that, that is every year here at the APHA. What do you want to give a shout out to members or people that may not be members of the APHA with regards to coming together as a profession? Well, I want to thank all the members and pharmacists and pharmacy team members who are not members who came to APHA 2023 in support and you know the the programming here the opportunities to for their voice to be heard for them to learn for them to network these are all here and we couldn't have done it without our corporate sponsors for this wonderful um, exhibition and for all of the events throughout the meeting for our APHA staff and what they did to put this together. So shout out to them. Um, shout out to you for being here and for creating this platform for, um, for everyone to talk about all the excitement and energy that we have here at this meeting. Absolutely, it's an honor to be here. I do want to give a shout out to our pharmacists that are on the sidelines and they've been frustrated, they feel burnout. You'll be amazed by getting involved either at your state level or your national level, what it does for a feeling of hopefulness and because when you start getting involved then you understand some of the behind the scenes things that you might not understand if you're not involved so what's the call out to our pharmacists to become an active member of not only the APHA but maybe their state organizations yeah, just being engaged, whether it's a state organization or a national like APHA, gives you the opportunity for your voice to be heard so that policymakers in the association can talk to other policymakers who are making policy that will impact you, your profession, yep. and how you are just performing in every day. So um, we'd love to have people as a member of APHA. We've got a very strong advocacy team that that speaks on your behalf to policymakers to make the changes needed to ensure that we we practice in a safe professional environment to make sure that we have those authorities at the federal and state level and to enable us to do that and to talk with the corporate folks um, who you know, the workplace environment right now is challenged, yep. and we're trying to drive some change there, and um, we're, we have great connections to try and drive that change. And Todd, we're going to be in Orlando in 2024, and that's an opportunity. If you didn't make it here, <laughs> you can come and see all that you missed, and if you were here, I know that you were energized, and you are looking yes. forward to being in Orlando Absolutely. with us next year. Well, Brady and I love Florida. Well, I do. Brady doesn't. I love Florida because we have so much family there, and I don't have to pay for a hotel when I go to any, any conference in Florida. I can always stay with family. <laughs> so get ready, family. I'm staying for free. Thanks for joining us for APHA's 2023 Annual Meeting Edition of Locked on Pharmacy. 
APHA thanks all of our members, attendees, guests, and presenters for making the 2023 annual meeting a spectacular success. Make sure to visit us at podcasts.pharmacist.com, where you can find more information about today's topics and guests. While you're at it, if you've found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe to the show to ensure you never miss an episode. Questions about this show, tips for the podcast team, or how you can contribute to a future episode? Shoot us an email at lockedonpharmacy at aphanet.org. This has been a special edition of Locked On Pharmacy, a proud member of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Views expressed by guests represent the individual guests and not APHA, unless otherwise stated.